Welcome to The Other Side of 40. My name is April Grant, and I'm here to help women make positive changes with their lives after the age of 40. Let The Other Side of 40 become your community to find inspiration and support to start the next chapter of your life. Welcome to another episode of The Other Side of 40. I am so excited to have on a friend. Uh, I am a the volunteer coordinator for ShiftCon, and I met Tasha last year um, running the conference, and she was one of my volunteers, and we got a chance to talk and mix and mingle, and she is super busy, so we will make this as quick and as painless as possible. Tasha Edwards is a Chicago native, and she has been teaching health fitness on a local, regional, and yes, national level for over 15 years with degrees in sociology and counseling and over 25 specialty fitness and wellness certification certifications, Tasha takes a mind-body approach to her teachings with a huge emphasis on community and empowerment. She is currently creating a nonprofit and is using your voice to wait, and is using her voice to speak to the inequities and lack of diversity in the fitness and wellness industry. In her free time, she can be found reading a book, dancing, or listening to music. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I went global this morning. So now <gasps> I can say local, national, and, and global. So that's what I was doing this morning. I taught at a, at a global class. Yeah, so. Amazing. Yeah. I'm so excited to talk to you. So um, tell us about your awakening moment. Um, gosh, it is, is being in a space where I could walk. <laughs> After getting um, rear-ended, I had switched to massage therapy school. Like you said, I have a, I have a master's degree in counseling, and I was I had just gotten married. I just had another baby, and so I had a kindergartner and a six-month-old. And I was going to massage therapy school. I don't even remember why I was going that morning, and I was rear-ended and trying to make a right turn. And that was a Monday morning, and my husband worked an hour or so away. He had to come home. And two days later, I could not walk still. And he called his job and they said, we're sorry, your wife is injured, you're fired. Um, <laughs> and oh, so no. my, my awakening moment was a scramble because I was doing Weight Watchers. I was very desperate um, to lose the, the pregnancy weight. I was struggling with it. It was um, a moment where I popped back into my eating disorder. I was desperate. I mean, I was literally desperate. And I knew that I couldn't afford, even though Weight Watchers was $13 a week. And it doesn't seem like much until you're in a house where nobody has a job. Right. Um, and so I found a book in the library. I mean, a little like the old school paperbacks, like, mm -hmm. like the Harlequin Romance paperbacks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was called Fit for Life. And I think that book came out in the 80s. And there was an option to um, do the meat option or the non-meat option. And for me, I took the personal sacrifice to not eat meat. And it wasn't about animal rights. I don't knock people for that. 
but I took it because basically I said, if I don't eat meat, they can. It's cheaper for me to take this option. And that's what I did. And I think that's how my, um, this side of the journey, as far as being a vegetarian, eventually, you know, completely plant-based, that's how it evolved. It was, it was me stepping in for my family or what I felt like. Well, I mean, that's, that is some sacrifice right there. Cause I'll be honest, I, if I had to do it today, I would have to think about it like real, real hard. I mean, I would, because you know, the family is more important. The whole, the the health of the entire family is greater than my Mm -hmm. desire to eat meat. But I don't know if I would have, I would have made that commitment. Um, what, what was the biggest thing you learned when you read the book, uh, Fit for Life? Um, Fit for Life is based on food combining. So it worked in my favor and also worked against me because it made me very neurotic. Um, so before noon, I only ate fruit. That was it. And like, I knew that melons digested immediately and anything like a banana took an hour. Everything else took like 30 minutes. So up until noon. I didn't have to think about my food. I literally just ate fruit every now and then a few nuts or whatever for lunch. I could have a protein and vegetables. So I'd have like this big old salad bowl, literally of mm-hmm. just a salad. That was it. Like, you know, less greens and I, you know, started getting fancy and all that kind of stuff. Sunflower seeds at three o'clock, three o'clock was my break. I could eat whatever I wanted, which was usually when I ate the stuff that I would normally eat. And then at night, which was around six, so my husband's now gotten home from work. I've been with both of these kids all day, and I would eat carbs and vegetables. And so what I learned was that food combining actually worked for me. Like, I lost about 15 pounds in three months because I couldn't, first of all, I did shift my eating, but I couldn't work out. And so, again, that, that was a desperation for me, but the other thing that I that I that I learned from it is that we need to be super careful about all of these diets and plans that take us out of our our norm. Because I felt so dedicated to the process to make it seem like I was in it, you know, like I was going to succeed. Mm-hmm. That I ended up not hurting my I ended up hurting myself because I wasn't eating enough. I stopped eating on Sundays completely, like before. Intermittent fasting was a thing. This is 2004. I literally did not eat on Sundays. Wow. What, what made you not want to eat on Sundays? You just lays, lays in bed and you're just like, it's not worth it? Or was it a conscious decision? It, 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 it was both. It was desperation. Mm. Because I, I, I became very neurotic um, about it. And I, I think that has been my experience with most things is that when we try to stick with these strict eating plans, um, I felt affirmed by losing the weight, but I also ended up in the emergency room because I work, I ended up with a part-time job. I worked an hour and away and I couldn't, I couldn't even drive home. Like I was Mm. that, I was that weak, but in my mind, and I was teaching for a nutrition education program. And I remember I was a director and then, I had to go back under someone else 
after I had my baby because I wasn't there anymore. And I remember her telling me, she's like, that's not healthy for you. And I was like, you can mind your business because your girl <laughs> is finally back down into the 150s. And I am not trying to hear, you know. And and I look back over time and, and I realized that's why I couldn't stick with it because I think it was a good jumping off point for me to understand that food combining does work for some people and it worked digestively. But long term, um, like any other diet I've tried, it was it was it was detrimental because I stopped thinking intuitively. I did it because that's what they said, even if my body did something different. So you've brought it up a couple of times. Uh, tell us about your eating disorder and what it was. And I don't know, did you ever like get to the root of what caused it and what sent you down that path? Um, several things, because honestly, I feel like, and this is just a Tasha experience, that you're never really over it. Mm -hmm. I'm not. Um, I have battled anorexia twice, two huge episodes and be, uh, binge eating as well. Anorexia, the first episode started because I was young and had just gotten a divorce. And I had been super depressed and I had gained all of this weight. And I was under the impression that my weight was part of the reason for my divorce. Or it was part of the reason why people didn't find me attractive. It was basically a mental thing. Right. And the trauma of that pushed me to believe that I needed to be someone different. And so I would do things like, I was taking dance then. I, so I was 25, I was 25, 24, 25. I'd go to the dance studio and stay for like eight hours. Any classes they let me take, I'd stay. Then wow. I'd go to the gym for two hours. Then I'd come home and eat like ramen noodles and V8. You know, but I lived by myself. So there was nobody to regulate me. And traditionally, it has been assumed that black women and thick women don't have eating disorders. And I'm like, how do you think we get there? Right. You know, it's just, it's one of those things that nobody ever discusses, you know? And so I, I didn't have a name for it. I, I just wanted to lose weight. It was what people now call discipline, which is a bold-faced lie. Because people are trying to cover their eating disorders by calling it discipline. Oh, wow. And it's not, you know, um, yeah. the, the, the second time was, was after I had my daughter during that time, that's the anorexia was, was rough. And, and I've struggled with it, um, even recently, um, because when you've been in that, it only takes like, it's so easy once that switch flips for me, mm -hmm. for me to, to just not eat. In my mind, I got a goal. I can just not eat. It's it, And it's so, it catches you by surprise because it's like three or four days later and I'm like, what is happening right now? You know, almost like you feel out of control. Um, the binge eating came from, it's basically stuffing emotions. That's pretty much what it was. Okay. Um, I felt like my life was out of control. I had moved here because we lost our house, bankruptcy, all that kind of stuff. So when we moved here, I took a job at the gym selling gym memberships to pay my daughter's daycare. And even at 100, I was 158 pounds and I ain't nowhere near 158 pounds right now. I thought like, I can't be the big girl in the gym. Mm. And so to take the pressure of 
there was really nothing I could do to speak up about being here because my husband's family is from here and this is where he got the job. And now I have an infant and a child who is ADHD and I am trying to handle that and handle my job. And I feel like I'm suffering and I have control over nothing else but my food. Right. So, you know, I teach, I had started teaching yoga and there was a books a million across the street from where the gym used to be. And it was so uncontrollable that I'd be in the parking lot of books a million stuffing. They had a brownie. I would stuff it. And then I would cry because I didn't understand why I was doing it. And then I'd go teach because now I'm the yoga instructor and right. I'm perfect. And I'm the example. And then I'd leave and go to Sonic and like get the hot fudge brownies and mm -hmm. eat them. And I didn't realize April that I had a problem until I started throwing the papers away before I got home. <sighs> the shame. You know? Right, right. So You're hiding it. You're starting to yeah, hide it, it from was, people. It was, the sh it was the shame. And it's something, it, it's still one that, um, that, comes back to the surface if I find myself unable to express my feelings about something I start to feel trapped I start to feel a lack of control my control is I eat and I eat what I want and then I feel bad and then I say I'm the fitness professional now I feel sick because I shouldn't have eaten the three pieces of cake but I did and it can shift you from binge eating to anorexia it's like a a pendulum because now I've done this now I can't eat because right. you know you, you got to catch a, up for you got to make up for the fact that you ate so much so you got to not eat at all I mean yeah. one of my um personal uh guilty pleasures is Bravo TV and there's a couple of people on one of the the shows that have talked several times about I'm not gonna eat today because I know I'm gonna eat tomorrow or I'm eating this now, so I'm not going to eat later. And it's that those small words that makes it sound like that's acceptable. Like the way they say it is like, yeah, of course, you know, I'm just going to starve myself for 24 hours because I had a few extra calories today. And um, when I'm listening to you, I mean, honestly, I was like, I need to say something because I'm going to start crying. Because um, it really, it, it touches me that, you know, there are so many people who are struggling with similar things and really looking at different people, especially in the black community, um, especially women. And we get kind of pigeonholed. And then, but we also have this ideal of, you know, we should be thick and we should be this and really trying to understand the difference between healthy and um, skinny. And I feel that there's so many misconceptions, but you know, I, I'm not a health professional at all. What do you think are the biggest health concessions, uh, misconceptions in the black community uh, around health and weight? Um, some of it is I feel like, and, and it is systemic, mm -hmm. you know, and I will tell you something my mom said to me about five years ago. And I was like, ma'am, it is 21st century and we know better. But it makes so much sense because she said, you have to remember that we were fed the scraps and what we learned to do was make the best out of what we had, which means a lot of things aren't genetics. They're generational. Mm. You know, if I think my grandma, both of my grandmothers grew up in the Jim Crow South, right? you know, where they were out picking cotton 
in Mississippi and Alabama, the, the two most dirt poor states in, in the country, and they learn how to make things taste good out of what they have. And so my mother learns from my grandmother and every, I mean, every generation gets a little bit more information. And so to think that the gap for me is here I am, and I'm going to say mostly, mostly plant-based at this point, just because I'm having to make some shifts for my health sake. Um, here I am mostly plant-based living in the suburbs <laughs> with a master's degree. And my grandmother is illiterate for having to drop out of school to work in the fields, mm. you know? And so my conflict is on both sides because my family. So when I was 23, I was wearing a 42 triple D and I mean, they literally tore my body up. My insurance mm. paid for me to get a breast reduction and me and my mother had a fight because wow. her response was you're getting rid of your family trait. And that's how she saw it. You know, wow. when I would go home, my mother would put, I've had small wrists my whole life. My mother would do mm -hmm. this and she's like, you're so thin. And so to be there and then come back to the fitness world and be like, you need to lose some weight, you know, and we equate losing your curves in our community is like the worst kind of, <laughs> you know, you might as well be Judas kind of right. thing. Yeah. And, and so I think we right now we're on the tipping point of really creating accessibility because if we think not that long ago, if you weren't already, um, kind of middle-class, you didn't get that. When people say high school skinny April, I have no idea how much I weighed in high school because we didn't have insurance. I didn't go to the doctor. Oh no. You know, like that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there's this tug because when you're in fitness and wellness, let's just go ahead and say that the majority of those, if you look up fitness people, if you put that in Google, you're going to see white thin women. Yes. And what that does, it tells us that we don't belong. But if you start working out and you have small wrists into your family, you too skinny, you think you're better than us. Yep. You're losing your booty, you know, Ooh, and it losing creates, that booty. I know. That I mean, losing your hips and losing your booty. I mean, that is yeah. like you cannot do that. You could do all no. sorts of other things, you know. It, but losing the, the if you if you got them, because not everybody got breasts. <laughs> but if you have them, you got to keep them, and you got to keep yeah. your booty. You got to keep your mm -hmm. hips. You got to keep yeah. those curves, which yeah. you can't pinpoint your shape like that. Really, like you can't eat mm -hmm. to that shape to say, well, I'm going to eat just enough that I have booty. And, right. and breasts and still also try to eat the healthiest you can because it kind of can, it, it conflicts. It just does. It, it, it very much does. And I'm going to tell you, most people, when, when people want to lose weight, black women specifically, we had this conversation. One of the first questions people ask me is not about money. It, they want to know, am I going to lose my booty? And so my statement is always, have you ever seen anyone in your family lose weight? Oftentimes it's no. no. But if you have, where I ask people, where does your family lose weight and where does your family gain weight? Chances are this may be your fate. So when I started working out, so when I had a reduction, I was cut down to a C. Mm -hmm. I had no idea I was going to lose the rest of my breast because I had never seen anybody in my family lose weight. Right. Mm. And I said, it's a genetics thing. I can't tell you. 
But do I know women and have I ever been this woman to say, if I lose my booty, y'all, I'm stop. I will never do another squat again. You know, it's almost like it becomes a part of your identity so much. So like us saying, I cannot sweat my hair out. I'm just going to have to be thick because right. <laughs> I mean, my hair in, in high school, my hair was rough because I never pressed it because I was an athlete. And, you know, we don't, we have products now that make the curls pop and look all cute. Back then we didn't have none of that. It was either a fro and my hair is thin. So I didn't really fro. It was just kind of like this thing. I don't even know what to describe it. It just looked a hot mess all the time because if I press it out, I mean, I would, I would work out anywhere between two and four hours a day in high school, depending on what season it was. And it was just no way I could not sweat it out. So I just didn't do it. So I just yeah. looked a hot mess. And then, you know, then you, that became its own thing because it was like, oh, I don't do my hair. You know, you're black. You don't do your hair. You don't try to mm-hmm. keep yourself up. And then um, just even when I did do it, it was like, oh my gosh, April did her hair. What's going on? It was like, it was like this thing when I, when I did my yeah. hair, they're like, oh, you taking pictures today? It had to be picture day. Like that's pretty much the only time I pressed my hair because it was just too much to maintain and we didn't have anything to kind of bridge that gap and that was a kind of an issue with some of the black people like you know they're like oh she just looks a mess she don't care da 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 and so it's like what well, I, I don't have time i just i got to go my own direction so mm-hmm. and it, it's one of those things that it's it's hard to navigate and even now it's like i think about pressing out my hair but i'm in florida and so it's like, it's oh. just going to be, it's just, just going to be hot and humid. And no matter what I do, I'm going to sweat it out. So, right. I mean, literally walking down the street is going to have me sweating out my hair. So I really embrace like finding products that work for my hair so I could stop worrying about it or worrying about what it looked like. And it's been helpful that so many people now are embracing natural hair. Yeah. So, yeah. but they didn't have that when we were growing up. So it's a very different um, place to be. It is. And, and we're attached to our hair. You know, I think about, so I cut, so when I was pregnant with my daughter, this is 2003. I was eight months pregnant and literally cut all of my hair off. So in 2003, it was not the jam to be natural. People thought I had lost my mind, really. And I got a lot of negative feedback from it. And so I put a relaxer, like I had locks for a while, then I had a texturizer for a while. And then the pressure was I was going to my class reunion and I was like, I don't want anybody to say anything about my hair. That was 2000. That was my 15th. That was 2008. And I put products back in my hair and I kept them there for 10 years. And I felt like cutting my hair, not just from a fitness standpoint, but I felt like it was a, a, uh, a rebellion to my mom who was like you will not go out of my house looking like that and I don't care if your light bill isn't paid here's some money so you can get your hair done because what you're not getting ready to do is be walking out of here looking crazy right yep. and so you think you take all of that in but even even because I, I taught so much I would get my hair done and my hairdresser would be like let me give you all this spritz because I know you're about to go to the gym but I would take, I had wrap lotion in my car. Because mm-hmm. the first thing I got to do, I'm literally get in the car, lay my sides down and tie it up. So when I get up in the morning, I don't look crazy. And 
the flip side to that is that I felt like a lot of people who are not of color felt some type of way when I cut my hair. Mm. You know, it was like a, I don't know if they felt like it was an intimidation or something like that, you know, and I think, you know, we have this discussion about hair, whether, you know, we do our hair because it makes us more acceptable. It's like you're getting it from the black people and the white people. Yeah. So what you really need to do is make the decision that's based on what works for you. And so now when I get up in the morning, I'm not flat ironing my hair at 4.30 a.m. because I have to show up at the gym for a client because it's still my job. But, you know, there are times that I miss it because my identity was so connected to my hair for so long. And I think about, sorry, that's my daughter waving at me. And I think about um, the times that I didn't work out because I was concerned about my hair, you know, like swimming. Now, I don't Mm -hmm. swim because I almost drowned because somebody pressed me in a pool and I would push me in a pool in a deep end. And I was literally taking swim lessons as COVID started. But, but it was easy to say, I'm not getting in there. Don't sprinkle water towards me. I'm not playing in a water hose. I'm not playing near a fire hydrant. I don't care how much fun this is. Mm -hmm. Thou shall be fine with her hair the entire time. And it translates over to the things that we won't do for our physical health because of our hair. Well, I mean, I just want to piggyback off that because, you know, being in Florida, we got water up the yin yang, like water. We, we don't even occupy the middle of the state. We only occupy where there's water. So the fact that we have so many kids drowning, especially black kids, because they never learn how to swim. And part of that is I got to make sure my hair is laid. I can't get in the water. I don't want to mess it up. I got to have it this certain way. And they don't ever get swim lessons. And like you, I actually had four friends reach out or, you know, Facebook posts say, who knows an an adult instructor? Because they realize, what am I playing games with? Because I'm playing games with my life. Because it's not just them, it's their kids too. And then they can't, they're not getting in the water. And so their kids don't want to get in the water. They're like, mommy, Mm -hmm. you don't want to get in. Why do I got to get in? You want to keep your hair nice. Why do I got to mess my hair up? You know, so it's not like you can, you know, you have to be the um, example, you have to model it. And part of modeling it is, you know, doing things like overcoming your fears, whatever fears you had about the water, Mm -hmm. breaking past that and getting in it. So I just wanted to add that because, you know, it's a real bit serious problem out here. Yeah, and, and even even with what you said as far as modeling the, the behavior, you know, we have attitudes about um, certain foods as well or how we um, categorize people who eat certain things. So, like, my mom will tell me, you don't know, you, I'm going to come down here and cook for them because you don't cook real food. And real food means spending three and four hours on my feet making neck bones and potatoes and making cornbread. And I'm like, ma'am, we're in a different time. Number one, my mother really didn't allow me in her kitchen. You know, when my mother cooked, that was her thing. So no, I never learned. And when I turned 18, I left. I went 500 miles away and never came back. Right. And so, um, and it's so funny because I saw somebody post the other day, my mama made sure all her girls could cook. Great. Is it killing you though? <laughs> you know, right. so 
it's like there there are two sides to that. And, you know, all the times that my friends were like, oh, Tasha can't have that because all she eats are leaves and twigs. And then they'll turn around and take a breath and be like, but look at her skin. Like her skin's so amazing. And she does. And I was just like, it, it at a family dinner, at one of my husband's family's dinner, and this is why I don't go true story. I separate myself because I usually don't have anything to eat. Right. So this time I made my food and I'm going to go, right? People are literally standing over my food. Like, what's that? What's that? Are those vegan collard greens? I'm like, I don't care how much tofu you've changed. You cannot make tofu look like collard greens. Yes, they're collard greens. <laughs> like, they don't have salt pork in them. They don't have ham hock in them. How are you going to eat that without no meat in it like this? You know, but again, we, and then in the next breath, somebody will tell you, well, girl, you know, I don't eat that much meat, like on the low. Right. Like I'm trying to stop that, that pork and people that made fun of me are now reaching out to me 10 years later. Cause I mean, I've been at this for a minute, right. 10 years later saying, um, oh, can you tell me, I got a call last week. Can you tell me what kind of things you eat for breakfast? Cause I just didn't eat oatmeal. And, uh, my husband's aunt told me one day at a family gathering, this is a quote, you're going to die because you don't eat meat. Some other woman is going to be married to your husband and taking care of your kids because you don't eat meat. Oh, I didn't know and it went that deep. <laughs> it is a conversation that has stayed with me. It's probably been my daughter 17. I'm pretty sure it was about 15 years ago. And it's one of those things that hurt me so deeply because it was like you took how I chose to take care of myself and try to make it personal as if I was doing something like I was going to kill myself. Right. From, you know, and, and leave my, my husband and my kids. And now I believe in the last couple of years, she's tried to go vegetarian or something like that, you know, and I am humble that people have taken my example or whatever, or see me as a person that they could learn from in this realm. But there is also still like anger and hurt from how separated these same people made me feel because I wanted to do better. I wanted to do better because I don't want to die from something that I could have controlled. Now, if I go out here and get hit by a bus. Right. Then that happens. But if, yeah. But if I know that high blood pressure and all that stuff runs in my family, my aunt just dropped dead at 49 with a heart attack two years ago. If it's something that I can prevent to be here for my kids, no matter how old they get, baby, get rid of the ham hock. Like for me, it's that mm -hmm. simple. Is that well, simple? Well, that's what's interesting. So my kids are not picky eaters. I mean, they have, they have moments of pickiness. And one of my daughters is definitely going down that vegan path. And, but part of that came from the fact that we make sure that vegetables are provided at every meal. There's always some sort of vegetable at, well, except for breakfast. But, you know, lunch and dinner, it's out. Uh, there's always a salad, there's always a side vegetable, there's always something. And now, especially with COVID, and they're not running around as much, we've been 
treating giving snacks as well so we have like i'll put like their little snack containers full of snap peas or um carrots or uh what else do they like those are the two major things celery um and i just put a little container and people go well how your kids eat so good like we'll go somewhere they'll eat a lot of everything i mean obviously the my little vegan (laughs) she she doesn't but she'll they'll gravitate toward all three of them Mm -hmm. gravitate towards the vegetables and I remember one time Daniel who's now 16 we went to the party (laughs) we went to a party and they had all the food out and you know they had the the obligatory uh vegetable platter that no one really touches yeah and they said okay it's eating time it's snack you know we're getting ready for like the cake and ice cream or whatever he walked right over to that vegetable platter and picked up a plate and put some carrots on it and some celery and they're like he doesn't want cake i was like i don't know and they're like you're not gonna make him have cake no if he wants he sees it he has eyes and he is smart he has if he wants some i have no problem giving it to him and but if he doesn't ask, I'm not going to give it to him. That's it. I mean, it's very simple. And he ended up having a piece, very small piece, but he does not eat to this day. He does not eat a lot of sweets at all. And I just see how a lot of times when the parents are feeding their kids, they're pre-assuming that they want all this extra stuff on their plate. And it's not particularly what the kids want. It's what the parents think the kids should have, especially when it's unhealthy. It's like, well, you got to have meat. You got to have this. And I'm like, you know what? My baby doesn't eat. She'll eat some meat sometimes. But if she doesn't want it, she normally goes, no, you know, I'll ask them. This is what I don't make extra food. These are the options. What do you want on your plate out of these options? And she'll tell me exactly Mm -hmm. what her options are. And I'll make her a plate based on that. Yeah. And that's it. And I've really appreciated watching them because even for, for eating, I also make sure they know they have choices and their, but their choices isn't, they can, I'm making multiple meals. Their choices are, you don't have to eat certain things. And Mm -hmm. that is up to you, your stomach and how much you can, you can put in it. And that was not the way I was raised. I was raised with finish your plate, you, you know, starving kids in Africa, and even though in my head I was thinking, are you going to send this food to people in Africa? Right. I really wish you would. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, and then it goes so far as when I'm listening to, you know, parents deal with like in-laws or extended family and they go, oh, my mother-in-law feeds my kids, whatever. And I'm like, I actually don't care because I know when they're here, they eat healthy. So when they go over there every once in a while and grandma wants to get McDonald's two times in a row, guess what? They're going to come back here and they're going to eat vegetables all day, every day. So it's not a big, it's not a big deal. I don't need to read. I, I let them be open and honest with their, their, um, their appetites and their choices. And I tell them, you know, listen, we can eat something healthy. I mean, we can eat something unhealthy, but realize we should also eat something healthy too. And they, yeah. they understand that and they do it. They self, they completely self-regulate at this point. I don't even have to coach them or bribe them. The, my youngest two are six and eight. I don't have to say anything. I'm like, okay, you want this cupcake? Okay. We need to eat like a nice salad or something. Cause we need to kind of balance it out. Okay. I'll have a salad. No questions asked. No. Oh, I don't, I didn't, nothing. No issues. Yeah, I, I think what you said as far as 
teaching them to honor their own, their, their appetites and, and how they feel. And, and one of the things I never wanted to do because um, one of my husband's other aunts told me I wouldn't feed my kids anything that I wouldn't eat. I'm not them though. You know, and my thing was I, I created, I left all options open mm-hmm. and you can decide what works for you. Now, my son, because I was a single parent for a while and I was living on a budget when I was trying to lose weight, he ate what I ate. Like that was just it, you know? And so he's never, what now he doesn't eat cereal because his babysitter for two years when he was younger, cooked him hot breakfast every day. Mm-hmm. And my mom called him a snob. And I said, it's just how he was raised, you know? Right. And so but he ate the raw vegetables. To this day, the only thing my son doesn't eat is like greens. He's not really into the turnip green thing. And I can't, and he doesn't really particularly care for ice cream all the time. Um, but again, he'll have a smoothie and then he'll have pizza. Mm-hmm. Okay. My daughter is different. And a lot of that came from, so when she was born, of course, I was going through this whole food revolutionary thing. My daughter is not going to have beef and pork. And I started giving it to her before we moved here for exactly what you said. It's because I knew when my husband's family got her down here, she was going to have the bacon, the ham hocks, so, and, and everything else, right? right. So, and she, w- she wasn't even one when we moved here. So she's grown up in that environment where the grandparents are here and the aunts are here and they all cook like that. But when she started going to school, like one day she came home and said, I don't like corn anymore. What? And I think it was because, yeah, I think it was because one of her friends didn't like corn, you know, because people would ask me like you, how do you get your kids to eat healthy? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's what's in the house. But I felt like as she got older, some of it is also that my daughter's a lot more sheltered and spoiled than my son was. Mm-hmm. And so if she complained about something by child number two, I'm not here for it. You know, I'm just like, okay. And, and, and I think that we gave her too much leeway for choices. Whereas in my son learned to eat because this is what we had. Right. I think she grew up in a space where we were a little more, one of used to word privileged and we had access to a lot more. Mm-hmm. So it was like, she had the choice, but I yeah. feel like at 17, it has done something to her. Because now as an athlete, I have to talk to her that way. Instead of saying, eat your vegetables because I'm your mother. Yeah. You cannot survive on Cheez-Its and, and ramen noodles. And I get that COVID is hard. She's doing the virtual school. She's away from her friends. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that. And so for that reason, I have tried to make my approach a little more gentle instead of authoritative. What have you eaten today? Mm -hmm. Have you had any protein? Have you had water? Would you like to try this for your protein today? What would you like for me to get from the store that you can have with, you know, so it's, and it's making her a part of the conversation. And at 17, I cannot sit her down like my mama said, and these are the black eyed peas and this is what you're going to eat. And that's the end of that. But it is educating her because mm-hmm. we were just told this, this, that, shut up. You don't have a choice. Right. Um, it's educating her so that maybe she doesn't want the chicken tonight, but she's thinking about the protein for her performance and for her body and her growth. So maybe she wants fish. Yeah. Giving her those options to 
teach her because I believe that maybe, well, we can only teach what we know. Right. And I believe my parents gave me what they knew. Yeah. Definitely. You know, and we lived in a food desert as well. So, you know, I take that experiences and, and, and I don't know how I shifted. Um, other than saying as a kid, I almost went a year and I didn't eat anything but peanut butter and jelly. Like, honestly, like I went through these phases. They have always called me weird. But I feel like when I got out into the world, I started, I worked at Kroger. And I worked at Express Lane. And I remember having to ask people, because you have to type the little code in when they bring the produce. I'm like, what is this? Mm. Romaine lettuce. What is this? Green leaf lettuce. What is that? Red leaf mm. lettuce. What is it? Like, I had no idea. And so as I'm learning about these things, now I'm curious because I work at the grocery store. But the other thing is the emergence of social media has now made, or the internet in general, yeah. has now made things accessible that, I mean, I didn't eat avocados until I was almost 30, arugula. You know, if I call my grandma right now and say, hey, girl, what you doing? I got me an arugula salad. And I remember one day my mom was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. like, like I'm about to go make an acorn squash in a minute. What's an acorn squash? Yeah, you know, she being bougie, she over there eating that white food. Oh, yeah. We got a we got a lot of we have a lot of systemic issues with having better making better choices being associated with white. Yeah. And a lot of times the reason that we are making different choices, I should say, I won't even say better, different choices is access. When you're poor and you, like you said, in a food desert, your grocery store, if you have one, does not tend to have a lot of stuff. It may have lettuce and may have tomatoes. It may have onions, but that's pretty that's much it. it. <laughs> you don't, you don't get a variety of lettuces. Right. You don't get it's a honey crisp apple. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But, yeah. and that's what I do with my children. I make sure they have access. So there's always fruit on the table. There's always their little section. So they don't have to think about what they want, their little containers of vegetables. So it's not a thing to go get it. They're just going to the kitchen. They're like, I want a snack. Just like they would grab any, like a pudding. They would grab, the pudding would be right next to the vegetables. They get to make a choice. Then I realized right. they're not eating the pudding. So I stopped buying pudding, buying mm -hmm. but part of that is also involving them in conversations. Like when we go to the store, what snacks would you like this next week? Mm -hmm. What, what are you going to eat? Because, and being with COVID, I know we've slipped a little bit because, you know, they are eating a lot, <laughs> being home all day long. Yeah. Um, so I know that slipped some, but ultimately the uh, foundation is there. So like, there's not a lot of sodas. And when they have soda, it's like, well, did you, how much water did you drink today? You know, mm -hmm. they either, they have one or two choices. They either can um, mix it with water, any juices or sodas, or they can drink a glass of water first and then they can have their soda mm -hmm. after. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and I'm just like, this is just how it is. And then my daughter, right. my middle, my middle child, she used to be like sweets you could not get this girl, like, she's a person that you can make a pancake made with sugar, and she put syrup on top of it. <laughs> but now she's just, you know, like, mom, I just put some driz drizzle on it, you know, and it wasn't a, I tried not to be authoritative, only because right. of that's how I was raised. And mm -hmm. I did not, I don't, I didn't, 
I don't have good habits with eating myself. Like I have all sorts of issues. I don't know if there's a particular name for a disorder, but like I won't, I don't particularly, I don't ever go anorexia, but I definitely have my moment moments of binging or, you know, mm-hmm. knowing that I should stop eating. And I'm just like, but there's only a little left. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, but I but don't make trained. Yeah. I, I don't need yeah. those extra calories though. I don't need to finish the plate. Like it's yeah. okay if I don't eat all the fries or the whole burger. And, yeah. and that's what I try not to, to do with them. So like, they'll have like a half a hamburger. They'll eat like four, four fries and half a hamburger. And they're like, I'm full. I'm like, all right, <laughs> go yeah. play. So um, what was the biggest transition? I know part of the reason you became a vegetarian was uh, through circumstance, but what was the biggest transition and what did you learn about, um, cause you, okay. So you said that you were not getting enough nutrition in your mm-hmm. first instance of vegetarianism. Mm-hmm. What was missing and how did you rectify that? Um, lack of education and also still fighting that need to have everything because I was used to having nothing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was like everything I heard about, I had to go get it. I had to go get it. And I, and then I got too much information because I was so overwhelmed that I was trying to take every vitamin that everybody said that I needed as a vegan. And, um, I, a friend of mine, I, I'm a, I'm a writer in, in my other life and a poetry friend of mine was like, Hey, I heard about this group. This girl is looking for people to interview about being vegetarian. I was like, Oh, I mean, okay. And that group was by uh, Dr. Um, Breeze Harper, and it was called the Sister Vegan Project. And it was basically a group of black women who were vegan or vegetarian. And not only with the, and, and, here, and here's the thing, like even thinking about it, like I can feel the emotion, this was 16 years ago. They didn't just educate me because they knew I was going through a hard time. I would go to the mail, here's the book I told you about. Oh, wow. I hear we talk about these herbs. Here's the herbs we were talking about. Here's this we were talking about. And it was like not only the support for not feeling like an alien because I didn't know anybody who was living this lifestyle, but they were also women who looked like me. Right. And I think out of that, you know, it, that was the first instance when I realized dairy might be killing me. Because I love ice cream, mm-hmm. period. <laughs> Just like period. Like, like, like <laughs> cheese was my thing. And it was like educating me to be, to, to be able to make the choice. What, you know, dairy, not in the PETA sort of way, mm-hmm. but kind of saying, you know, this could create this issue. And I said, let me stop eating dairy now. Have I had to mix some eggs in at one point? I thought I needed them in my diet. Yes. And then took them back out. Dairy is something I have never played around with. The minute I found out that um, it was probably going to kill me because when I took dairy out of my diet and it's not animal related or nothing, I used to get a sinus infection every month between November and March. I have probably had two, three, maybe sinus infections in like, 12, 13, 14 years. Wow. Um, I have migraines and I still have headaches, but I had less when I stopped eating dairy. 
my menstrual cycles when I was having one um, became a lot less painful. And so for me, it was a no brainer. Like it was not worth um, eating Dairy Queen. But the thing about it is I was also living in Alabama and this is still 2005 ish. So we didn't have a Sprouts and a Whole Foods and an Earth Fair. And there was no mm-hmm. such thing as coconut milk ice cream. <laughs> Right. So it was almost like murder because this is the South. Right. You know, nobody was having that. And so some of that was super stressful because I'm like, I don't have access. So when people laugh at me, I literally used to drive to Nashville, which is an hour and a half away from me mm-hmm. to go to the grocery store. And I said, but you don't understand. Right. You don't understand because this is my life. And if I have to drive an hour and a half to get to a Trader Joe's or, or Whole Foods, you're going to be all right because now they have things I've never seen and now I can try it and I feel excited about it. You know, so when people are like, well, how far is Nashville from you? Down the street. Like, <laughs> literally, I, I, I used to live there. So I go to Nashville all the time. Right. Um, it's down the street. We are just now, just now, it's 2020. I've been here since 2004. We just got a Whole Foods about two years ago. We're just now getting a Trader Joe's. Trader, you know, Trader Joe's means you made it. Trader Joe's does absolutely no marketing and they only move into certain neighborhoods. So that means y'all made it. I am a Trader Joe's fanatic, (laughs) fanatic. But, you know, for me, and and even at this point, I was talking to my coach before I got on this, on this call, where I'm coming back to is nourishment by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. So what happens is I have sacrificed especially in these times because black fitness girls are hot on the block. I think all of us are hot on the block now because everybody wants to talk to us and we're their friends to show that they're diverse and not um, racist. So we've been busy, Mm -hmm. but I have sacrificed my health and I know it. We're skipping meals because I need to get to this and get to that. And that I was so busy doing the work that taking care of myself became less and less of a priority. Mm. so if nourishing I eat standing up I'm literally always in a rush and I eat standing up all the time so nourishment for me is about I'm not necessarily focusing so hard on do I have six servings of vegetables right now when I eat does this feel good to my my physical body and does Mm -hmm. it feel good to my soul because I'm not forcing another piece of health food down my throat if it's not good, it's only good nutrition if you eat it, right? right? So my thing is nourish. And, and that may mean um, I may pay a little bit more money for organic raspberries because they taste good to me. And to not question that um, nourishment for me, unfortunately, also includes Starbucks. And I cannot tell you how many times I've got the speech about, do you know how much money you could save? Probably. Do you know how psychotic I would be without it? So <laughs> like for my clients, I'm like, Hey, go buy the chopped up onions, let them judge you. But yeah. if those pre chopped onions help you get dinner on the table quicker and you're going to eat, do it. So if Starbucks keeps me sane, I am not in the business of trying to answer to anyone about what I need to do based on their standards. I'm going to have my quinoa and I'm going to have my latte. That's just the way it is. You know, and so it's finding that nourishing the things that nourish me, the things that I like. I don't care if the specialty crackers cost nine dollars. 
if that's what I want, because if I don't spend it on that, you're going to spend it on something. Right. Yeah. And so I mean, the, the craziest thing about money and food, especially right now, is the process, unless you're getting like cereals, cereals are a little bit different. But for the most part, it's not that much cheaper. It really isn't that much cheaper to eat processed food than it is regular. It is almost the same. I'm looking at my budget. My budget has not changed much over when I was eating um, more organic, more healthy food, and now. It's almost the same. I mean, it's not exactly. I mean, it is a little bit, um, a little bit less. But for the most part, we're buying the same thing. And we're just, we're trying to do more quick things. So we're getting more prepackaged stuff. So mm-hmm. we, we're freezer, Costco freezer section is like our, our jam. Yeah. Um, but I just see like people complain, well, it's so much more expensive. And I'm like, I don't know. It, the lettuce that you can have to make two to three salads out of may only be a dollar or two. You know what I'm saying? And what I thought was interesting that you just said is like the chopped onions. Cause I know there's the, the periods of time that I really get into like cooking or doing things in the kitchen or, um, you know, prepping things for the kids. Sometimes you just got to go for what you'll use. And it doesn't matter because if it goes bad, it doesn't matter how great it is for you because if sitting in the freezer and you never touched it and you're like, oh yeah, I really meant to use that. But you know, I forgot because when you saw it, you just thought about how much work it was going to be to put it together. So one of the yep. things that I do to bypass that sometimes, not a, this is definitely not an all the time thing is when I get home, I chop everything up and prep it. Mm, and then that way okay. when, so I do buy it whole and then I'll prep it and put it in, I, I'm a container lover. So I got all sorts of yeah. containers. <laughs> and so I'll pre- prep everything up and then put it in the drawer. And then that way, when it's time, I just, just grabbing it out because I won't want to do it. I'll be like, I got to cut the onion up. Okay. Let's prepare. You know, you got to get your eyes ready. <laughs> you yeah. got to get ready yeah, yeah. and you, you got to sit there and, you know, and then you got onion on your hands and smell and all that stuff. So um, I'm a big, big component proponent of prep work uh, when mm-hmm. when you can. Again, yeah. with COVID, I, I don't do anything, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm just I, I, I feel you. But that's mm-hmm. important to say as, as far as um, and, and when I coach people, I meet people where they are like you're not going to be me by tomorrow, you know. Right. And so when we were talking about the difference between, you know, eating more organic and less. The other side of that is that now people are afraid to say, I bought a conventional apple because organic people are about to jump on your back about how you should be eating. If you've never eaten an apple and now today you're eating two and the pink ladies aren't organic, you're going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, basically we need to stay out of each other's plates. Like we do. And about the judgment, because it makes people feel like, especially like I'm an all or nothing person and a, rec- and a recovering perfectionist. Right. So if you're saying eat organic apples and I can't do that, then I have failed. Mm. So what I won't, so what I'll do is the shame will force me to eat something else because I did not meet the standard that people said. And it seems very uh, minute. But it's the way the mind works. I did not meet this standard. Now the shame and guilt pushes me here. Yeah. And, and I think we just don't understand 
in general, how we shame and guilt people because everybody does not have the same money or the same access. It was one of the things that I said at ShiftCon, you're telling people to eat seasonally. Well, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, most people don't even know. And even if they do know their grocery store, we remember, we just talked about the bodega, Mm -hmm. the, the store, it's got lettuce, tomato, onion, and it's got that in January, it's got it in June, and it's got it in November. It's the same three vegetables, it doesn't change. So when you say, yeah, eating seasonally, yeah. There's, no, there's no point of reference for that. You don't have any right. clue of what that means until you go someplace that has yeah. actual season. And typically, even that is really more, I, as someone who does have an idea of what seasonal is, I really only see it in restaurants talk when they're talking about farm to table food. I don't even see that change in the right. I don't see that much of a change in my grocery store and I've got grocery stores. I've got a whole foods and I don't see that much change. And granted I'm in Florida. So the question is maybe we just don't have seasons, Um, (laughs) but that's also a thing, right? You know, it's 80 degrees today, but it's snowing up in, in the North. So it's really, I like the meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. So from that, what tips, if they were to go vegetarian for their health, what do you want them to be able to walk away with? Like two or three things. What should they think about? Um, First of all, Pinterest is not your first. Pinterest is overwhelming. Be mindful about going to Pinterest. I tell people to take what you already eat and think about that one thing, like how to shift. So we take something like um, pasta, spaghetti. You know, I mean, now we're in the in the in the age of Beyond Meat crumbles. We didn't have that when I was vegetarian when I first became vegetarian. But try it and see what it it it, it tastes like for you. And keeping in mind that um, it's not going to taste like ground beef. Right. You know, I think the, the, the slide and we and, and me and Nzinga talked about this a little bit is that we are willing to still take in the processed foods and the grease and the fat if we can make vegan food taste like real food and which can be just as detrimental because if it's processed on this end, it's processed on that end. And so starting with the basics, something like a pasta or a chili you know, or if you have to research something, looking at how to make beans with other flavors besides meat. My thing was I gradually cut out, like I stopped eating pork in 1997. I stopped eating beef in 2000. I stopped eating chicken, turkey, and fish in 2004. And then I went completely, you know, got rid of the dairy and the eggs like two years later. So it wasn't like, the, vet, the chicken, turkey, and fish, I did wake up one day and I was like, okay, that's it. But for the most part, it's a gradual thing. Like, don't go throw all your chicken away. Right. Maybe you go from eating it seven days to five days. And then five days comes to three days until you can figure out how to get the nourishment that you need, you know. Um, because of bulk bins, I mean, it's COVID, but we still have a little bit. I always recommend that people, if they have access to it, to buy something where they can just buy a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, so you can test it out before you go buy six pounds of quinoa. <laughs> Cause you heard on Oprah somewhere that it was healthy for you. Buy a half a cup. Literally. I used to buy one serving of things. Yeah. Come home and, and, and play around with it. And, and some of the things are more expensive. 
And so as I go to the grocery store, even now, I rotate the more expensive things. Because if I buy coconut oil at the beginning of the month, chances are I'm not going to need it the next week. Right. So then I start adding to my, uh, my cabinet of things that can, um, I have to learn how to kind of play around with, with flavors. And I mean, it's basically a crapshoot because you're going to make something and it's going to be nasty. If you've been eating your mama's cornbread your whole life yeah. and you're trying to make some bread without the jiffy and now all of a sudden it tastes like crap, you know, it's like, don't give up. Right. There's always a, a way to do something different. But again, it's that start, start where you are in that little bit of space. Don't let people convince you that you need truffle oil and <laughs> organic tofu from Malaysia. Like... <laughs> <laughs> because people will tell you that and you will get caught up and you will start to feel like you're failing yeah. instead of moving along in the progression of where you need to be. And as a coach, increase your greens, drink more water. Yeah. And that's Eat it. more plants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause when you start, I think when we start talking to people about what they can include as opposed to what they should not have. Yeah. People don't feel that, that like panic about, oh my God, I can no longer eat so-and-so. It's like, oh, I started creating more salads. Yeah. You know, a, a, a abundance as opposed to um, scarcity. Like, I can't have this. Yeah. That's, that's a mindset. So definitely think about what you can add first as opposed to just like wiping the table clean and being like, I'm, I'm going to do this vegan thing and then fail like three days later and end up at Pizza Hut because you're frustrated. <laughs> so definitely been on that. Still on yeah. that diet roller coaster. I'm trying to yeah. trying to incorporate more greens, you know, um, yeah. and really get in. Uh, because ultimately if you eat more vegetables then you'll eat, eat less of something else. You just will. Right. Yeah, it's naturally. That's it. You only got so much room in your stomach, so exactly. you, you gotta you gotta do it. Exactly. But drink some water. <laughs> drink, drink more water. Yeah. I, I got my yeah. giant bottle bottle of water. Yeah. My whole you know gallon bottle. I probably get. Yeah. In the beginning, I could get through a whole gallon, but mm, yeah, you know, I'm not time. There. Yeah, I'm not there. I'm not there. I'm not. But, there. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on. Tell us where to find you. Yeah. I am, you can find me at my blog that I haven't written on in a while, but I'm getting ready to in the next couple of days at hiphealthychick.com. You can find me pretty much everywhere, um, Facebook, Instagram. Um, if you don't want to know my political views, do not follow me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but um, Hip Healthy Chicken, all those spaces in, in Pinterest. And if you hear this and you want to connect, you have questions, just inbox me. Tell me you listen to the podcast. And then we can correct because I really like to talk to people. I don't want to just be a figure that people see and look at my cute pictures. Yeah. If I can be a resource, then I want to be a resource. Thank you so much for coming on. I know you're super busy and you managed to fit us in. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, abs absolutely. I am getting ready to go eat a salad. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Other Side of 40. You can find us at our site, theothersideof40.com, and on Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Other Side 40.